I think step one, it's like, you know, when you have a, an addiction problem or any kind of issue, it's like, you always say step one is recognizing you out of a problem. I think step one was saying it's okay to fail. It's okay to, you know, be in the situation, which is hard to convince yourself of that. I think step two was not giving up on like, you know, hey, I'm good at this. I've done this for a long time. I, I, I obviously like the, the business, like not saying, hey, you know, F this, I don't want to do this anymore. I think it's a pretty easy knee-jerk reaction to say that, right? And then step three was kind of really whiteboarding in your head, like what went wrong and what went right and how we're going to fix it and what we're not going to do. And, you know, setting up new rules for yourself and new, you know, new, new SOPs for yourself, right? And what you, how you're going to do stuff. And then, you know, again, like not to under, undersell it, like fitness and getting that part of my life again was big because it really wasn't for five, six, seven years. And like, you know, during COVID, I would just go walk for an hour a day, two hours a day. And like, it just, you you don't realize the endorphins and how it helps. And like, you just feel like a little better, right? But I think, once I realized it was okay to fail and it was okay to like, you know, fall off the horse and get back on and like not everyone's story is straight line business wise. And once you like own all that, you, you get in a much better mo- headset than like, oh my God, I'm in my twin bed at home. Like, is there really? Like, okay, you know, we'll get back to where you want to be. I think you just got to like have that mentality. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Bashoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Thank you all for continuing to tune in week in, week out. I'm really appreciative of every single one of you. If you haven't already, I have a discount code in the show notes for Audacious. I want to thank you all for your support since the book launch. It's been doing great. And honestly, it wouldn't have been nearly as successful if it wasn't for you all, the listeners. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe or follow, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may be. Be sure to drop a review. Five stars helps us go a long way with regards to continuing to build the show. Today's guest is Matt Shandell. Matt is the founder of The Page Group. Now, if you've been in the New York City area, if you've gone out in the Hamptons, you've definitely been to one of his establishments. Uh, Matt and I have definitely crossed paths over the last several of years, um, most recently through the fitness circuit. Um, And I'm glad that I approached you, Matt, and and asked you to come on. I'm I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, So first and foremost, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. And I was really excited when when you approached me and I couldn't wait to do this. So I'm happy to be here, my man. Of course, of course. Um, so let's just give the audience just some quick background here with regards to where you grew up, where you're from, and how you got your foot started in this industry, right? You've been in this industry now for a couple of decades. Um, right. And so, yeah, Maybe I know it's, cra- it's crazy old, to say. Yeah. It's crazy to say. I mean, I've been going to your establishments for what feels like decades now. So, um, you know, it, it's crazy to think about that. So why don't you just give us that quick background and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into the story a little further. Sure. I uh, grew up in Queens, New York, I'm a native New Yorker. My family still lives there, so I've been in New York basically my whole life. Um, went to the University of Delaware for college, was kind of t- tinkering around with, with a law uh, degree, law direction, law school. Um, pivoted in 2000, I'm sorry, 1997, 
and opened our first bar called China White. And we was a, it was like a let's get the bar business out of our system kind of project, right? Let's do one place and and you know with a couple of friends and see how it goes. And uh, you know it, it really took off. Um, and you know here we are, twenty six years later. We've had twenty one venues and. Some of them great, some of them not so great. Um, you know, the, the, the two that stand out from a notoriety standpoint is we owned uh, Dune in Southampton. And we partnered with um, the Tau Group guys, Noah and Jay. And shout out to them because they're killing it and big fans of those guys. or been friends of those guys for 30 years. Um, and then we opened up Ainsworth, our sports brand, in 2009. And that really gave us like a big, you know, footprint in the nightlife and restaurant business. And that, that was a rocket ship. We grew that brand to eight of them nationwide and you know it's still going um there's still a few left and 16 year old brands so 16 years in new york city or in any market is a long time for brands that especially in this industry so we're pretty proud of that but um yeah dune and angel are the two most you know the high notoriety brands we've had but it's been 26 years and you know some of it's been pretty great some of it's been pretty not so great but you know here we are but uh it's been fun now i do more local mom and pop i live in brooklyn i have a donut shop called brandon's donuts named after my son um, a small restaurant cafe called the Juana's Tavern. It's on Court Street in Brooklyn. Um, some other stuff in Brooklyn we're doing. So I try to keep it local and more, more passion stuff, but that's where, that's where we're at right now. But it's been 26 years of different brands, different stuff and Ainsworth being the, uh, the flagship pretty much. I love that. I love that. Both establishments I've spent a good a time a good amount of time in. Um, I remember I graduated college in 2009, moved to the city and everybody and everybody was going to the Ainsworth um, at the time. And so definitely caught uh, a bunch of, a bunch of games over there. Um, I want to go back to the very first spot. Um, you were pretty young. How did 20, you, 22. you were 22 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's walk, let's walk the listeners through this really quick. How did you fork up the funds to get a place started? Um, and you know, what was the overall business strategy there, right? Going from that place to 21 venues right. after that, did was that always the 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 vision to kind of build a, a bigger brand or did it just kind of naturally flow from there? I think it naturally flowed. We didn't really have a vision. It was me and uh, my original partner was this guy named Dave Hyman who well, we were briefly working together in real estate. And I said, "Hey, I want to open a bar," and he said, "I want to open a bar too." And we just decided to go open up a bar. This is '97, where you know ninety percent less places in New York to go to. The hotel, you know, craze, bar craze hasn't happened. Rents were 100% less than what they are now, right? So um, I think we just like maxed out a bunch of credit cards and took a bunch of like crappy bank loans and like, you know, stapled some curtains to the wall and found a spot and a cheap rent and we just winged it. But I had been doing doors and bartending and, you know, I had some nightlife connects for a while at that age. And I was in that promoting when I was in high school and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I had a little nightlife connect and nightlife juice when we opened up we did really well we had some celebs in there and it just was like a let's give this a whirl and you know if not i'm gonna go to law school kind of thing and then like it just took off so but we kind of slapped the funding together it was not a let's do a deck and do a you know do a a capital raise or whatever you know that that people do frequently now it was more of a let's get some credit cards and some curtains from bed bath and beyond and staple them up and and see, and see if we can make it work so so let me ask you a question. When you're young and you start a business like that and you start to see success, what runs through your head? And, and does that success kind of get addicting because, you know, you start to see what you're capable of and you start to want more of that? Well, I think it, especially back then in the bar business, you know, it was a different business. Costs were 
excessively less than they are now. Rent was the cost of everything was less. It was a much easier business to make money. Um, and I think when you're, you know, I grew up in, you know, middle class Queens, you know, had a great upbringing, but you know, just when you start seeing those types of revenue numbers and, and money coming in and it's, you know, it's fun and you're 22 and it's easy and it's like, wow, you know, you start thinking, let's do another one and let's do another one. And like, you know, I think it's a good thing if you're an entrepreneur to like have that DNA and that drive and that engine to do more, but it's also a curse, you know, because doing more along the way is, has bit me in, in the ass, in excuse my language. And it's bit me where, you know, we've probably done too much and I've undercapitalized projects and done things the wrong way a lot. So, um, you know, I, I think at 22, listen, at, at that point I was at the place every night. I was having the time of my life. It was great. So it wasn't really work. Right. And then the, the cherry on top was every week we had, you know, we we're making great money. So it just turned into this, like, you know, this, this is great. Like what could be better than this? And we just kept rolling with it. But, you know, looking back, you know, I wish I can go back to 22 year old Matt and say, Hey, like, don't do that extra venue and put some more aside and grow this business and focus here. You know, two years at one spot doing well, doesn't make it like a success. You know, it's, it was always like, okay, we did well for a year. Let's go do something else. You know, you, you kind of took the question right out of my mouth because usually this was a question that I'd leave for the end of the episode. And I would have said, Matt, you know, what would you go back and tell 22 year, year old self and, and what kind of advice would you give him? But because I know where this story is going, I kind of wanted to ask you right now and you answered it for me directly. I wanted to say, what would you go back and tell the 22 year old version of you? And so you kick, you kick off over there. Things are going well. You're probably thriving for someone in his young twenties, uh, probably living the life and, um, walk us through how you went from the first restaurant to the next place, or sorry, the first venue to the next place, just so we understand, you know, where the growth happened. I wish it was more elaborate. You know, we just did really well for two years at our first place and said, this is, you know, easy and fun. And, you know, young, young friends group, you know, we had a group of, of, of friends that were young and we had a good network of people and we, it was, you know, constant birthday parties and flow and people wanted to come by. And we just thought, you know, we have enough demand for another spot. And again, doing a place back then was so much easier from a capital standpoint, from a rent standpoint, from a liquor license standpoint, from an everything standpoint. So it wasn't like, you know, it's super arduous now. It's a super heavy lift to open a place anywhere, especially in New York City. Um, it just wasn't that hard. So we just said, let's do another one. And like, you know, we were, we were a victim of our own success. So we just kept, everything we did was, was rolling and moving. So it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't really have any speed bumps in the beginning, which I wish, we, I kind of wish we had some, right? Like to slow us down a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was just an easier industry to be in. And it was just an easier climate to open up businesses. And, landlords were in a different position and, and it was just it was kind of we kind of fell into the next place right like let's do another place and um and went from there so remind me where geographically was the first place in new york it was on 31st in madison 31st in madison you which back home. then i mean it's not a good nightlife location now right but like back then you could like roll a bowling ball down the street and you wouldn't hit anybody um then we ended up going to the east village next at a place called shampoo which is on the corner of a and houston um, which has been a bought, been many different brands since then. Um, and then we just, you know, we, you know, again, back then too, you know, being young and going out every night and having like a big social following and a big social circle, I didn't really care about location because in my mind, like, you know, my friends and the people that are in our circle and our following, we're going to come to wherever we were. Right. So like, it was like, let's find a good rent, which was pretty easy back then. Let's find a good space. We always went for a second generation pre-built space, like a space that you know I'd failed previously, um, and we just kind of 
hopped around to the next like you know good deal. Let's talk about when the first business speed bump came about. We're gonna talk business and we're gonna talk about your personal life. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to first hit the business speed bump and when that first came about because clearly, if you're someone listening to this podcast and you've been to these venues, you're thinking to yourself, these guys had a formula because it was like routine in our heads. Like if I'm out in the Hamptons, I'm going to June. And if I'm in Manhattan, I'm going to the Ainsworth. Like it was, there was no, there was no even thinking there was no fighting it. Um, and so we were, we were, we were wired. We had you hooked. We had you hooked. You had us hooked. Uh, you know, if we were 20, 20 something, uh, you know, we wanted to go out, um, hang with a certain crowd, be around certain people. Um, you know, the thought was, I might run into someone famous if I go to the Ainsworth. I remember, I remember one time going to the Ainsworth, there's a big Knicks game on and Larry Johnson was there. And I remember thinking like, that was the coolest thing in my, you know, in my young twenties. So let, let, let's just first hit, when was that first business speed bump? The first speed bump really didn't happen until about 16 or 17. You know, we, we had a couple Ainsworths. I don't remember how many, but we had a few that were doing really well. And we were like a really hot brand. And, you know, we started getting approached by people saying, you know, you can, be the next Buffalo Wild Wings, or you can, you know, go private equity, go investment bank, grow the brands. And, you know, I, I think, you know, at the time I was getting married, I was moving out of the city, I was building a house. So I was doing a lot of things on the personal level. And I, I think the first speed bump was, we really had this cloak of, of invincibility for a while. I mean, we opened up at one point, we had three Ainsworths in New Manhattan, six blocks from each other. And they were all doing great. So it was like, you know, oh, we just put some wood and some TVs up and anybody would love, you know, it just, it just worked, right? Now, I think watching the game at a bar, every bar shows the games, like, you know, it's like, like, we were the first place to think that that made it an upscale experience to watch a game. But now I think that's common. You know, like places are nicer now, right? Like, um, I think places always have TVs and people go to watch games at places that you wouldn't even think had TVs. So I think it's just a common and sports is like universal now. You know, 20 years ago, sports was like a, a guy thing or it was like a sports bar. And like it was, you know, now it's a social thing. You know, we had more females and males at Angel for a very long time, which I'm sure, you know, you, you recognize why you were going there all the time, right? But um, first speed bump came about 16, 17. We had all these spots. We were doing really well. You know, I think I got distracted from my personal stuff and I started like not coming in as much. And I was like, hey, I can move out of the city and this will be fine. And we decided to expand nationally, which, you know, probably not the best time to like take your foot up the gas from a focus standpoint when you're trying to expand nationally. So we, you know, we had a couple of big capital raises, um, that fell through. We, 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 we were, we engaged an investment bank and they wanted us to show proof of concept out of New York. So we, we signed leases in Nashville and Kansas city. Um, and you know, we didn't capitalize it right. We had a couple, I don't want to mention particular names. We had some celebrities that were going to invest and that fell through and, you know, you can, Google like paychecks, there's a bunch of stuff in there about that. But, you know, we, we, we had a lot of stuff that was like at the one yard line and it just didn't work, you know? And then I, you know, at that point, instead of saying, Hey, let's pump the brakes and like recalibrate and get the capital correct and do things correctly. I think we just forged ahead because we had always forged ahead and just things just always worked. And we opened up all these venues and we didn't have the capital and, you know, uh, on a personal level, I ended up going through a divorce and I built a house up in Westchester and then I sold the house. And it was like, you know, it was a lot of stuff that just started all falling apart at the same time. 
I ended up trying to sell the company to Ainsworth and that deal was a mess. That was like 18 to 19. And then in 20, we undid the deal, the sale of the company and we like got the company back. And then two weeks later, COVID hit. Literally. So like we got the company back like February, like 25th of 20. And like, you know, it was like, you know, be careful what you wish for. You don't want it anymore. Like I just, was, you know, it was, was kind of like bittersweet. So, um, you know, I think just over expanding and like mixing that with like personally saying, Hey, I don't need to like focus as much and I can like go live an hour away and, and do whatever, like wasn't the best formula. But, you know, again, if I can give any advice to like my, my kids or anyone who's like trying to be an entrepreneur and grow a business, it's like, have a great runway of capital and have the best, you know, capital plan and have investors locked up. Like we were used to just doing things and things worked out. You know, we would sign leases before we had the capital and then go raise the money. You know, we're like, yeah, you know, and we had the same like 10, 15 guys that would always invest. And it was like, it wasn't really a thing. Then you start talking about like, you're raising a hundred grand for a little bar versus raising 10 million or 20 million for like a, a national expansion. It just became obviously a bigger ball of wax. And you know, again, not to mention names, but we have a couple of celebrities that committed that backed out and we had a couple of deals that, you know, um, you know, fell through and, and we really just kind of just said, Hey, let's, let's sign these leases. Let's grow to eight. Um, because it'll work out and some of the, we'll, we'll figure it out or we'll, you know, we'll just earn our way out of this. And it just, I ended up, you know, but I think a lot of my personal stuff just kind of, you know, wore me down where I said, I just want to sell and get out. And I sold and the deal didn't go through and then I got it back and then COVID hit and like, here we are. So but that, that's pretty much the speed bump story. Yeah. So let's, un, let's unpack that a little bit because, you know, you said a lot there um, and it's a lot to imagine. And I want to kind of go into what was going inside your head because I have to imagine at one point you felt like you, you were on a high of a lifetime, right? Especially in the nightlife scene when things were thriving um, and, you know, things were moving along well. Um, I can only speak for myself, but if I was doing what you were doing at your age, uh, I would have been on a high, uh, of a roller coaster. Um, and then I have to imagine at one point when things start to go sour, I don't know if it's my ego. I don't know if, uh, it's my reputation, but at, at one point, you know, I start to kind of wonder about, well, which one am I? Am I, am I the guy who is thriving at the top of the industry or am I this guy who's, you know, kind of now handling all these things falling apart at once in my personal life and in my business life? Like, which one am I? Um, right. And I think one of the things that I've speaks, been there. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that speaks to your strength and fortitude is that you're still here. And that, right. that, speaks, to, that speaks to your strength and that speaks to who you are on the inside. Uh, but, you know, for the listeners out there, I want to speak, I want to kind of walk them through you know, what you went through internally, um, as you kind of battled all, all that. And, you know, we didn't really touch too much into the divorce and, you know, I, I want to be respectful of how much you might want to touch on that, but maybe even giving us some background in terms of where you met your ex-wife and, and how that kind of went in parallel with the businesses. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go too much into that. Just, yeah. I would say that, you know, to your comment about still being here, you know, having two kids helps, right? Yeah. Like, not to get too morbid, but like, you know, when you're having those dark moments and you're like, what the hell happened? Like I went from living in a mansion in Bronxville to sleeping in my bed in my house. I grew up with in, in Queens, my twin bed in my room. So that's the most humbling morning you can have. And you wake up and you're back in your, your, your little bed you grew up in. Right. And you're 45 years old. And two kids. I think, you know, just having the fortitude, just to, 
you got to get in a take it day by day mindset. And if that's not a cliche, you really have to just take it in like when you wake up and tackle today's crap and then go back to sleep and wake up and you got to daisy chain days together, right? I think not having like a good personal situation didn't help the business stuff. But I, you know, I don't, I don't blame what happened in business on, on the personal stuff. I think just when nothing's flowing right, it's hard. You have nothing to lean on, right? Like if you're killing it in business and your personal stuff's bumpy, you can kind of say, well, you know what? Like, I'm making a lot of money. I'm killing it. And I'll just be in the office till midnight every night. And some people bury themselves in their work, right? I couldn't bury myself in my work. I couldn't bury myself in my personal stuff. So I just kind of, just kind of tried to make it day to day. And like, you know, for, as far as the internal strife, like you really just got to get in that mindset of like, okay, wake up. What's the nightmares of the day? <laughs> Fight through it. Right. Like what, you know, and, and I think also this may sound sad or weird, but it's the truth. Like, I think if you wake up in the morning expecting to like have disasters and nightmares and grenades go off, it's a better, it was, it was a better way to attack the day than waking up being like, Oh my God, I can't believe this, you know, this is happening. I woke up every day saying, okay, today's going to suck, but I'm going to figure out like how to, you know, put out the fires and get to the next day. And you just kind of daisy chain together. But yeah, the internal strife was like, wow. I went from, you know, having everything I thought I wanted to like literally waking up on my, twin bed in Queens with like my comic books in the fucking wall still and stuff. You know what I mean? My baseball cards in the closet. So um, it's humbling. And I think, you know, I have a great family. So that really helped me, you know, and I think um, I have some great friends that supported me and said, Hey, you know, everyone has ups and downs. You did some, you did some epic shit. Like you'll figure it out. I had some friends that disappeared too, which I'm sure you, I don't, I don't know the details of what you went through actually, but I'm sure you found like, you know, sometimes you really, you're really taking inventory of like who your friends are when you go through a lot of bad stuff. You know, absolutely. I see this Instagram post or reel or story all the time. It's t- I don't know what it is. Someone writes, you know, like, uh, don't call somebody. You know, don't call anybody for six months and see who calls you, right? Like those and see who checks in on you. So, like, you know, when you're going through a lot of stuff and you really want to see like who's checking in on you and who's coming to see you and like, hey, oh bullshit aside, are you okay? Like that kind of stuff. Like, then you really realize who your who your real friends are and stuff. So. But I think getting through the day and daisy chaining it together and, and being diligent and saying, hey, like, you know, listen, again, having two kids is my motivation helped a lot. And, you know, being a victim of our own success was a problem. Like, not from 97 to 2016, like not having any issues and then all of a sudden having momentous amount of issues is like, it's difficult. I, ra- I would much rather have had like more challenges along the way. And I made a lot of mistakes, which, you know, I own up to, but. You know, you learn. And people say you got to learn from your mistakes. It's not a cliche. You really got to look back and say, "What did I do wrong? I'm not going to do it again," and and try to fix it. So, yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on, and you did it again. Yeah, you brought up my next question before I brought it up myself. So, mm-hmm. I love where your head is at because my next question was going to be around the people that you've surrounded yourself by along the way. And again, I I have to. I'm just putting myself in your shoes, man. I can't help because because of because of your journey, right? Like if I am riding high in my 20s, you know, on the top of the hospitality scene at the hottest names in town, I'm probably surrounded by a lot of people. And I don't really know who has my best interest at heart, but I'm probably blinded by a little bit of the success at the same time. And I'm not really thinking about that. And then to your point, when things come crashing down a little bit, you start to look around and and see who's there. And I also call this out because when you and I met, you and I had met um, at Mayweather and, you know, the circle of people that I had known there was an incredible group of people. And so one of the things that kind of stood out to me was, you know, I don't really know Matt too well, but I know he's around good people. Um, oh, and and I, I don't know if 
that was always the case or if that's something that, you know, has taken more and more form as you've gone through some of your adversity? Well, I was, you know, obviously when you're going through a lot of stuff, your physical health takes a toll. So like, you know, I went from being super fit and I got really out of shape and, you know, I linked up with a guy, Evan Betts, who, you know, yeah. right. Evan's like one of the best humans out there. You're amazing. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny because during COVID, I was like, you know what? Like I've got these restaurants back. I don't want them back. And now it's COVID. This sucks. I'm going to get in shape. And I was hitting up Evan every day, like on Instagram. And, you know, he's backflipping and doing whatever he's doing all over, all over the place. And I'm like, it took him forever to get back to me. And I was like, come on, man. Like, just my name's Matt. I wanted you to train me. And finally, one day he was like, cool. And we let me met up in like early of 21. And we started training. And like, you know, now we're like best friends. And you know, as you, you know, he's the best. And like, we, uh, you know, I really got, you know, fitness is important when you go into that stuff, right? Like, it really keeps you some sane. Um, so I, I think I started surrounding myself by more guys like that and more like, you know, a lot of the fitness industry has a lot of positive minded, good energy people. And I think not that the restaurant industry doesn't, but you know, the restaurant industry, you know, what are you doing in the restaurant? You're getting people drinking, they're partying, there's good stuff, there's bad stuff. The fitness industry has mostly good stuff, right? It's people feeling good and good vibes. I met you at that, at the class we were at at, at Mayweather Tribeca, quick plug. Um, was, uh, um, you know, like good energy. And like, you know, I started really, I never was in that world, you know, like even when I was fit, I was always did it like at home or like by my, I'm big on boxing or box and hit the bag by myself. Like I never was a group fitness guy. So when I started realizing like, wow, like group fitness has like good, the people have the energy and like the, the you know, it's a good way to go and clear your head for an hour. Like I started, um, you know, just gravitating towards that. So Evan and a lot of, you know, fitness guys, you know, James from Tone House and a lot of these guys that are just great people and, you know, Julian and like all these guys that, you know, just really like are always like their energy is just great. Like I really started trying lots of people like that. Um, happy birthday, Julian, by the way. And I, um, I, uh, you know, I just realized that there's another, I was so not even neck deep, like eyeball deep in the restaurant nightlife world that like I didn't really ever really surround myself by people that weren't in nightlife, not by, not on purpose, but you just get immersed in it, right? And I was just always meeting with a nightlife person or going to dinner with nightlife people or out of spot and doing business. And then you start realizing there's like, you know, there's a lot of there's other energies out there. So I think I just really focused on that. So, and, and that helped a lot. And uh, got back in shape, thank God. And, 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 you know, just started doing other stuff. So I think that was a, trying myself by that, by different people, different energies. It was a big help. Fitness industry, big help. Absolutely. Uh, James, James has been on the show. Uh, so he's got an episode out there previously. I actually, I, I want to bring Evan on. Evan claims he doesn't have a good story to tell, but I, I doubt that. I'm sure somewhere in there he's got something to share with yeah. us. Uh, we'll get Evan on. We'll get Evan on. Uh, I love it. Um, no, that, that's great. And I think it, it's a real testimony too. again. I mean, uh, the theme comes up a lot on this show around the power of community and the power of putting yourself around people who are going to lift you up, um, daily and not, not just, you know, to, uh, necessarily pump your tires, but to carry you when you need to reframe that mindset. Um, and so that's a really good call out now you know, sticking on the theme of community, but also focusing in on, uh, you know, that period starting in, in 2017 or so, at, at what point did you start to kind of pick up the pieces? And if it meant just kind of taking care of yourself, whether it was physically or emotionally, uh, whatever that may have been, what were some of the things that you, you did at first, right? Like, 
you realize you were, like you said, back to your twin bed at home. Uh, you're looking around. So talk about like those initial steps of putting the pieces back together. I think step one, it's like, you know, when you have a, an addiction problem or any kind of issue, it's like, you know, we say step one is recognizing you out of a problem. I think step one was saying it's okay to fail. It's okay to, you know, be in the situation, which is hard to convince yourself of that. I think step two was not giving up on like, you know, hey, I'm good at this. I've done this for a long time. I, I, I obviously like the, the business, and like not saying, hey, you know, F this, I don't want to do this anymore. I think it's a pretty easy knee-jerk reaction to say that, right? And then step three was kind of really whiteboarding in your head, like what went wrong and what went right and how we're going to fix it and what we're not going to do. And, you know, setting up new rules for yourself and new, you know, new new SOPs for yourself, right? And what you, how you're going to do stuff. And then, you know, uh, again, like not to under, undersell it, like fitness and getting that part of my life again was big because it really wasn't for five, six, seven years. And like, you know, during COVID, I would just go walk for an hour a day, two hours a day. And like, it just, you you don't realize the endorphins and how it helps. And like, you just feel like a little better, right? But I think once I realized it was okay to fail and it was okay to like, you know, fall off the horse and get back on and like, not everyone's story is a straight line business-wise. And once you like, own all that, I think it's it's a good you, you get in a much better mo- headset than like, oh my God, I'm in my big twin bed at home. Like you start realizing like, okay, you know, we'll get back to where you want to be. I think you just gotta like have that mentality. Hey all, it's me, Bishoy. As a marathon runner and endurance athlete, I've come to understand the importance of properly fueling your body for preparation and recovery. Every day you get a shot at success. How you start your day typically paints a picture of what the rest of the day will look like. Start your day with a super convenient, healthy, and delicious nutritional win. Meal one by Creatures of Habit. Overnight oatmeal packed with 30 grams of plant-based protein, chia, flax, and pumpkin seeds. Vitamin D3, omega-3s, a probiotic, and digestive enzymes made in under one minute. Stop wasting time or worrying about what to eat as your first meal of the day. Start with meal one. Visit creaturesofhabit.com, creatures spelled with a K, and use code MILE40 for 15% off a one-time purchase or the first subscription order payment. Yeah. No, yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on. And, you know, as you were thinking about that, I'm thinking about a couple of my friends that um, you know, are entrepreneurs in their own right. Some of them looking to start up their own businesses, some of them in the process of of opening up their businesses. Um, you know, what advice do you have for people right now, given the current um infrastructure or the current requirements really to uh to build something here specifically in in the new york area um you know if you could do it all over again and start today instead of 22 maybe the question is would you start something today or would you i mean i I stick to what i stick to what i said before it's like make sure you capitalize things properly make sure you have a growth plan you know uh when you're doing your projections or doing your business model, putting it together, like expect failure, expect, you know, be conservative, really go into it with a humble mindset. You know, again, like us opening up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bars in a row or vendors in a row that, that did great was was great, but it also was like a false sense of like we just fucking put a sign up and we go. You know, like it doesn't always work like that, right? So um I think just, I would just, you know, just got to be careful. You know, the business is, New York City is not a great place to own a business right now. Right. And, and it's not a brick and mortar business. Uh, um, if people ask me about New York, I kind of tell them, don't do it. You know, we have an interest in Hoboken that does great. You know, and Hoboken is a great community and we have a great landlord and we have a great rent and we have great loyal customers and regulars. Like, 
you know, just different than New York, you know, and like other cities. Like we had Ainsworth with the Nashville for seven years, which just closed. Nashville's a great city, you know, thriving, hospitable people, great weather, cheap rent, like good stuff, you know, like I would tell people don't do New York right now, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I just think capitalizing and planning for the planning for the, the worst to happen was something we weren't good at. We just we were just like you know, and if something bad happens, we'll just figure it out. You know, we'll you know, grab a credit card and we'll, we'll put it together, and you know, and eventually that just bites you. So that's what advice I would give is capitalize, be careful with New York right now. You know, like I, you know, we're in Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn's a better market than Manhattan, in my opinion, right now. I think you know, so just be weary of New York. Be weary of like you know what's going on with you know the Fed, the interest rates, and things are a little crazy. And you know, as far as my industry, as far as food and beverage and hospital, very few people are doing well still, right? Um, of course on Instagram and if you ask any restaurant tour, they're always killing it. That's always our answer. Right. So, but, um, you know, it's difficult in New York to make money in this business. I think COVID changed when people say, Oh, the restaurants haven't come back from COVID. I think people just change their like expectations of like, I don't, a lot of people don't mind staying home now. You know, I think a lot of people don't mind cooking or ordering in. Um, I think a lot of people, are more money conscious than ever, right? Like, go, like you know, going out and spending an exorbitant amount of money on food or bottles or whatever. Like, I think that's just becoming more people more, more, you know, have sticker shock after COVID and stuff. So, I would tell someone just be careful in New York and make sure you raise the right capital and 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 don't don't just think it's going to be great. Plan for all the bad stuff. Yeah, you know, you also bring up a good point, and and this has come up before. The alcohol top topic has come up a lot on this show. Uh, and I'm, it, it's slipping my mind, but I, I did speak to a business owner not too long ago that has talked about the, the general decline in, in alcohol, uh, purchases. Um, and like, we all kind of see it, uh, across, um, you know, a lot of the marketing that we're seeing these days and, and there's a movement away from alcohol and, you know, for various reasons, uh, can you speak to that as a business owner in terms of what you've seen on your end, uh, just so we can get our story straight and hear it directly from someone who's a business owner. I think the fitness business is bigger than ever. Right. I think like going to brunch with 12 of your girlfriends and drinking all day and doing all that, which was huge. And like, 2000 to 2010 like the, the, the day yeah. drinking stuff started in like 2005 right the yeah. Ainsworth, Ainsworth Sunday was like a day drinking lunch football party right yeah I think that has now changed to like let's go to Soul Cycle and let's go to Barry's and let's do a workout class and let's do all I mean yeah you know let's I think the fitness which is great right like yeah. for people to be healthier but I think less people I think getting drunk and doing all this stuff is less attractive now and I think the fitness industry is obviously huge. And if you've, you know, on Instagram, you see like more than ever. And I think you know, Budweiser's, you know, for numerous reasons, had like its worst two years ever. And like, you know, I just think, I think people are leaning more towards fitness and being more aware of, you know, how unhealthy New York, New Yorkers have been and Americans have been. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I don't think, you know, again, I'm, I'm 49, I'll be 50 this year. I, I, I don't, so I'm not the, the, the target market to, to like, you know, focus group on drinking as much, but I don't think 25, 30 year olds are as drinking like they were when I was 25, 30. I agree. People do, din people do dinners, right? Like birthday party. When I was 25, a birthday party was get a bracelet, do an open bar, go to a bar, black out, get drunk. You know, now it's like, let's do a dinner. You know, I have friends in college who call me and say my sister who less than my sister, their sister was five. Now it was 22 wants to go to Carbone. or wants to go here for dinner. You're like, I'm like, that's what these kids do, you know? And I want to go to catch and, like it's just like that that whole like drinking 
perception is not cool anymore. Yeah, I agree. I you think know? it's taken a dramatic shift, especially in the last, right. let's call it five, five years in particular. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I want to make sure that I point out to the listeners, like, again, this is someone who, who runs the businesses as opposed to someone coming on and preaching from a health and wellness perspective, right. Right. As, you know, as much as health and wellness was a part of your journey, we're talking about actual numbers here. And I, I think it speaks to the, just the, the overall shift in mindset for a lot of people, um, you know, within these major cities. And, and so that that's really helpful. Right. Um, and I appreciate the context there, you know, as, as we wrap things up here, Hey, I want to just thank you for, you know, your vulnerability and, and for being upfront and honest man. with regards Thanks for to, having me. of course, with regards to, to your journey. Um, you know, you talk about your kids a lot, uh, and you talk about, you know, the important role that they play for you and, and, and just kind of what they bring you. And I understand that as a father as well, with regards to when all is said and done, look, I want my daughter to know what I've learned, uh, along the way, you know, I don't want her to think that it was a smooth ride and I don't want her to think that, you know, life isn't going to come at you quick with, you know, different hurdles, obstacles, moments of adversity, so on and so forth. Um, and so you had mentioned some of the lessons, um, you know, that you'd pass down to, to your kids. Um, you know, is there anything in particular that you want to leave the audience with, uh, based on what you've learned and, and kind of talk to the audience the same way that perhaps you'd talk to your kids, you know, if you had to kind of lay it all out there for them, um, you know, based on what you've experienced over the last 20 years. I would say, you know, take time to prepare and don't just jump into an idea, really plan it out from a monetary standpoint, as I've said a couple of times, um, don't do business with your friends because it usually ends up shitty. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, um, try not to, if you have really good old close friends, you know, I would just keep them in the friend zone and try not to, you know, partner up with them, but you know, maybe sometimes it can work out, but it didn't it might really, in my, in my case, um, I would say, you know, being an entrepreneur sounds great and everyone loves it. And you go on Instagram and it's all these cool entrepreneur memes and sayings and like stuff, but it is a lifestyle and it is consumes who you are financially, mentally, and physically. So like, make sure you're ready for that, you know, and, and opening up a business is like having a kid, you know? So I think, I think I lost that too at some point where I was opening up businesses and not treating them like an infant, like you do, you know, when, and first, my first couple of businesses, I was there 24 seven, like treating it like a baby. And I think once you, so be prepared to do that. You can't just open up, you know, you can, you can do a podcast or you can do stuff online. You can do stuff that isn't like, you know, 24 seven, but you're opening a brick and mortar business or a real business where you're capitalizing things and doing stuff. Like I think you need to really treat it, treat it like an infant and something that's, that's needs to be nurtured and grown. I think a lot of people skip over that because because this day and age, like opening a business is easy, right? You can just open an LLC, get an Instagram handle, get going in like an hour. Right. When I was 22, it didn't work like that. So I think, you know, a lot of the younger generation today is like yeah i'm opening this and i started that and i i look at people's instagram bios they have seven companies they own and i'm like you know i think it's just if you're going to put time and energy and money and money into something especially if it's your own capital you know, i've always used a lot of my own capital which you know, is a gift and a curse so make sure you're very um protective of it of and, and treat it like an infant and nurture it awesome awesome matt thank you so much man thanks for coming thank you, on brother. thank you for a pleasure man thank you for laying it out you know we could learn a lot from this episode and i'm grateful for you and uh you know welcome to the mile 40 family my friend thank you i hope to see you soon brother you got thank it thank you for everything congrats on your success man thank you thank you for listening today 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 Podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.